in so many ways, what we do as Christians and what we do as a Christian church is super straightforward. In so many ways, it couldn't be simpler. We, we know God requires that we love Him and that we love others made in His image, and that's good and right. And yet we also know that no one does that appropriately, so we have a problem, so we know that we need to look outside of ourselves for help. We know this as Christians. We know that we look to Christ because Christ came and did everything right, that Christ went to the cross and made atonement to bring forgiveness for our wrongs. Uh, So we must look to Him. He's referred to as our mediator, the one and only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We know this. It's straightforward. It's simple. Uh, We know as Christians, we not only want to believe in Christ ourselves for our salvation, we're called to be ambassadors, and so we tell other people about Christ, that they too can receive mercy and grace and forgiveness, and and so we, we want to be those kinds of servants. It's, it's all pretty straightforward. It's pretty straightforward that we want to tell Christians to respond with gratitude, to, to act in a way that would honor Christ, not dishonor Christ. And that kind of covers it, right? God is great. God is good. God requires that we treat Him like God, so we love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love image bearers. Those, those are human beings. We don't do it. We failed miserably. Instead of God condemning us, He provides salvation through His Son, who has done all these things perfectly and taken away our guilt. We, call, we believe this ourselves. The Bible says if we believe in Christ, we have eternal life, not condemnation. We tell other people about it. That's what ministry is, so much of it. And, and then from there, we, we tell people who are professing Christians, live like Christians. Um, seek to love God um, and love neighbor appropriately now that you've been forgiven and reconciled. Really simple stuff. See you next week. <laughs> and yet, right? And yet, the, the simplicity of that profound and super important reality oftentimes um, gets dislodged, uh, oftentimes gets muddled and it gets confused, maybe because of our own minds and hearts, uh, because we're distracted maybe by things that are not true and people who are persuaded by who are telling us things that are inappropriate. For whatever reason, it's really, really easy. And church history is filled with people getting off track. And our ministry that we have ends up being less than honorable less than honorable before God and less than honorable even before other people. Even unbelievers sometimes see how far off track Christians are. Sometimes I've met unbelievers who understand the gospel and the priorities of the church better than some Christians do. Easy to become dishonorable before the eyes of God and the eyes of other human beings. And this morning we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 8. And 2 Corinthians 8 talks about honorable ministry versus dishonorable ministry. And it talks about honorable before God. That's what we want first and foremost. But also to have a ministry that's honorable before other people who are watching. We want to have a good testimony, if you will. And it's so easy not to. And so 2 Corinthians 8 is going to be our chapter as we try to focus on having an honorable Christian life, an honorable Christian ministry, that this church would also be an honorable church that honors God and other people who are watching. And as we work our way through the the chapter, we're going to look at the second half of the chapter, but before we get there, by way of preview and and sort of some some hooks to hang your thoughts on, I'm going to highlight throughout the whole thing three features of ministry that is honorable. So we're going to be able to highlight three features that will permeate the whole thing. 
of ministry that is honorable. And again, I'm picking up on the honorable because that's emphasized in the passage. And when we look at these features, we're going to be able to see, oh yeah, that, that, that's what he's, that's what the Apostle Paul under the authority of Jesus is trying to get the Corinthian Christians to do so that they're not dishonorable, but honorable. So three features uh, of a ministry that's honorable. Um, number one, they're, they all start with P. I don't often illiterate. I might be illiterate, but I don't often illiterate. But they'll each start with P and be one word for simplicity. Number one, purpose. Number two, perspective. And number three, personnel. So purpose, perspective, and personnel. Our text doesn't follow this pattern, but those realities are, are woven throughout the whole thing. So purpose, what I mean by purpose is that we're encouraging Christians to act like Christians. So our purpose with other Christians is to try to get them to act like Christians. That's honorable. That's good. That's right. So our purpose when it comes to other Christians is to encourage them to act like Christians. That's what Paul is doing with the Corinthians. They've not been acting very Christianly. And so he's saying, I want you to do the right thing. You can look at my life as an example, though I'm not perfect. You can look at people like Titus as an example, though he's not perfect and he's going to name some other people. But ultimately, it's going to come back to Christ earlier in the chapter. He loved you and showed you grace. You should love other people and show them grace. That was earlier in chapter 8. So purpose is the first feature we're going to want to notice when we work through this. Trying to get Christians to act like Christians. Number two, perspective. And the perspective is the glory of God. The perspective Paul has, we're going to see, whether he uses that word or a synonym, and he wants them to have, the perspective that those who are going to Corinth by way of messenger have is the glory of God. Okay? And I don't want to assume anything here. The glory of God means the greatness of God, the significance of God. The, the word literally has to do with weight. So if something is, if weighs more, it's greater when you're talking about gold on the scales or something like that. It's more, it has more substance. It has more uh, significance. Well, God is the greatest. God, God has the most weight. Like we have an argument and you're going to argue a case or something and you're going to put the most weight on this argument. Well, God is the greatest. He's, he's to be glorified above all else because he's the giver of all good things. He's the creator, he's the giver, he's the savior, he's the sustainer, he's the glorifier, he's all of these things. And Paul wants to model that from his life, model it from the other people's lives, and get the Corinthians to act for the glory of God, for his greatness. Okay, we use the word a lot, but sometimes Christians don't even know what it means. But I know you know what it means in principle. When someone is the greatest at something, they're glorified as the greatest at something. If you watch the news yesterday, does, the, does, does this time mean anything? One minute, one hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. One hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. That was the unofficial world record marathon time yesterday. Sub two hours marathon. Eliud Kipchoge from Kenya. I pardon the pronunciation if I didn't get it right. He, yesterday, was glorified by the entire running world. He was glorified by the entire sporting world. I will glorify him. He's the greatest marathoner ever to live. Pretty amazing. And thank you for the sermon illustration. <laughs> for such a time as this. He's the greatest there is. Well, 
by illustration, he's glorified. They're all talking about him. They're all interviewing him. It's the top of the news and throughout sports, he's being glorified. Okay? If God is the greatest because he's the creator, sustainer, forgiver, deliverer, glorifier, the greatest of the greatest, he's to be glorified in everything that we do. And if we seek his glory, then we're not going to seek our own and we're going to be more motivated rightly for ministry. So that's something we're going to see and it runs throughout the whole text that we're going to look at this morning in chapter 8. Then the third one, I hope you notice when we work through this, is personnel. Personnel, people, okay? Four different times in our text, he's, Paul is going to use the word earnest. Some form of earnest. The people who are involved that are examples and models, are earnest. And he keeps underlining that, emphasizing that. It permeates the whole text. They're earnest. It means they, they, they want to do something willingly. Their heart is in it. It's not for money. It's not because they have the right last name. Uh, it's not nepotism. It's not because they want to get ahead or make a buck or line their pockets or anything like that. This ministry, this honorable ministry before God's eyes and our eyes humanly speaking, is to be earnest. The kind of personnel we want to have in ministry would be earnest people who are really in it for the right reason. And I want you, whether you serve in a capacity like I serve in or serve in another kind of capacity as a Christian, to be an earnest kind of servant. And You're in it for the right reasons. Your heart's really motivated. And Paul is going to use Titus as an example. He's going to use two unnamed individuals as examples. He's used himself as an example. All of this, again, so when people watch, even if they're critics, they don't have a basis for saying, that's dishonorable. Okay? And certainly our Lord doesn't have a basis for saying, that's dishonorable. Ready to go? Okay, we're going to work our way through the passage. I hope you notice those things. It's chapter 8. And it's chapter 8, verses 16 to 24, okay? So we looked at the first 15 verses last time. He called them to, 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 to now act like Christians. Sorry, one more thing before we get there. Man, I've got a lot of one more things. Classic preacher. At least I'm doing it on the front side, not at the end. Um, the Corinthians had been misled, misguided. They were starting to believe in a different Jesus, a different gospel, listening to false apostles, and they drifted away. And when they drifted away, they stopped doing right things. And one of the right things they used to do is they used to give. Okay? They were giving to support the poor Christians in Jerusalem. We learn about this in 1 Corinthians. We learn about it in Romans. And now Paul is saying, now that you're coming on board, now that you're returning to the biblical Christ, now that you're seeing straight spiritually, now that you're coming around, it's also time to act like you've come around. Start giving to support the poor Christians in Jerusalem again. Okay? So that's why it said in chapter 8, verse 11, so now finish. And he's talking about money. He's talking about supporting. Now finish. So chapter 8 and 9 is about that. Okay? It's kind of an interruption. People who don't like the Bible much, even though they're called Bible scholars, think that 8 and 9 just got added out of nowhere and they weren't part of the original. Um, there's no basis for that, other than it seems out of place. Well, he's calling them to act like Christians. Now that you're coming around and believing the right thing, I'm going to call you to act like Christians and Christians act this way. Okay? So here we go. No more false starts, I promise. Um, 
Verse 16, we're not going to pre-read the whole thing. We're just going to start working our way through it, noticing those features. It says in verse 16, but thanks be to God. Starting off God-centered, glorify God kind of talk. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Got to stop there just for a moment. He's sending Titus. He's a representative for Paul. And Paul's saying, I want you to know, just as I've told you earlier, that you're in my heart. We've learned about that in 2 Corinthians. That I genuinely care. It's not on some kind of power trip. You're in my heart, genuine from God. And he's saying, you know what? Titus, who's coming on my behalf, same thing. The gospel does the same thing to people. It's a genuine desire, an earnest desire. He's not acting under compulsion. It's legitimate. It's It's earnest. He has the same care. And where did that come from? Well, he says, thanks be to God, because that comes from God when that happens. By the way, chapter 7, verse 3 is where Paul says, I have you in my heart. So now he's saying Titus has you in his heart as well. He's legitimate. He's, he's genuine. He really cares. This is how Christians are supposed to act. Earnestness. Then verse 17 says, For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, very desirous, Okay? It's genuine from the heart. The word just means desire, but it, 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 it's, it's what he wants to do. He's not being compelled to do it. Himself very earnest. He is going to you of his own accord. In chapter 8, verse 3, the Macedonians gave of their own accord. Again, not under manipulation. Titus is, is the right kind of personnel. Earnest, genuine, from the heart. I mean, we could read a lot of things into this as far as what he, he's not, he, he's not going to come to you as somebody who I had to, to, to manipulate to come. I didn't have to guilt trip him to come. Um, he's not thinking, oh, that'll be fun. I'd like to have a trip. I'd like to just be away from my family. I'd like to see the world. I mean, he, 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 whatever reason, there could be all kinds of reasons. But Paul's saying supernaturally by the power of the Spirit, he wants to do this. He cares about you. That's why he's doing what he's doing. It's earnest. It's an earnest kind of ministry, and that would make it an honorable kind of ministry. And I would suggest to you that this goes to pattern. Paul talks about it himself. Titus himself. This is what happens when God works in somebody's life. There's now a genuine, authentic kind of desire And it's attributed here to God. That's why he thanks God. This is what Christians are supposed to do. This is what Christians do do. And think about the fact of the diversity. Paul the Jew, so naturally speaking, not a friend of Gentiles, not a big fan, as we might say today. Paul the Jew, not a big fan of Corinthians. Okay? Paganville. Okay? He's already said, I have you in my heart. I genuinely, earnestly, because of the power of God to change a heart, I now have a love for you. Remember, Jesus is the one who said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Well, by the way, that's not a new commandment because that's from the Old Testament before Jesus came to earth. It's not a new commandment. But that I love you, that you love one another as I've loved you. You don't deserve it. Unique as an offend, uh, offending sinner. This, this unique, special, uh, whether you're Jew or Gentile, I love you kind of thing. And Paul is doing that. 
Okay? You're in, I truly care about Corinthians. Titus now is another example. Genuinely wanting to help you from the heart, not for some other kind of weird motive. Genuinely caring because he's, he's a Christian. He's a believer. Earnest. John chapter 13, verse 34, by the way, is when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you, you all sort of love one another. That's what's happening here. This is super basic. But think how easy it is for us to not want to do the right thing from, for the right reasons. And now that the Corinthians are kind of being called on the carpet for doing bad things, now he's calling them to do good things. He's trying to remind them, okay, we do good things because of the supernatural thanks be to God work on our hearts. And so I've been modeling that for you. Titus is going to model that for you. And so by, by inference, by modeling, by example, do, do the right thing because you, you really want to do the right thing. That's how Christians are supposed to be. And that's honorable. I find it interesting that he's arguing this way even though it's in a letter that's very confrontational. So that's why it's important to remember two things can be true at once. Earnest, care, I love. Titus loves. We're doing this out of love. Doesn't mean I haven't confronted. As a matter of fact, that's what's, what's brought you around again. I say God make us men and women who are like this. By the power of the Spirit, different desire, different heart. I want to do the right thing. That's honorable. That's how it should be. It doesn't always work that way. But my prayer would be, has been, is now, literally, God help us to want to bring glory to God, acknowledging His work in hearts and to do ministry things for the right reasons. Let's move on. Let's move on to verse 18. In verse 18 it says, With him, that would be with Titus, with him we are sending the brother, spiritual brother no doubt, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. That's intriguing, I think. The brother, famous among all of the churches, no doubt the churches of that region, He's famous among all of them. What's he famous for? He's famous for preaching the gospel. So some of you can't wait to get to heaven because you're going to want to go talk to Mary Magdalene, right? And some of you want to go talk to Peter and see what it looks like to have a you know, foot-shaped mouth. Um, some, some of you want to talk to Paul and, and you know... Um, and the super spiritual people in the room are going to say, well, I'm just going to hang out with Jesus. But that doesn't, the illustration doesn't work, okay? I want to meet the guy who's not named who's famous. <laughs> How's that going to work? Who are you looking for? Well, there's this guy, and uh, he really likes the gospel. Uh, welcome to heaven. <laughs> it's kind of a prerequisite for getting in. Have fun with that. There's more people here than the sands of the sea. Okay. Um, you, get, you get the humor of it all. I do find it super intriguing, though. He's famous for the right thing. And his name isn't even in the Bible. And maybe there's a lesson there to be learned. 
he, he's famous about telling people the good news about someone else. I love it that his name's not in there. Not that it's bad that your name's in the Bible unless you're Judas or Demas or somebody like that uh, or the witch of Endor or Saul. Anyway, I, I digress. I'm not downplaying anybody else, but how about the famous guy for preaching the gospel and we don't even know who it is? The boaster in Christ. You know, on an, on an application kind of level by extension, I, I want us to be those kinds of people. You know, you're, you're known for knowing about the gospel, you know what it is, you know what it isn't, and, and, and you know how to communicate it. That's this is great. It's kind of interesting about how many famous preachers there are in the world and how many of them are not famous for preaching the gospel. This guy's famous and too funny. No name, the brother. I want to aspire to be that, that kind of person. Well, he tells us more. Uh, he, he says in verse 19, And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches. So that would speak to his spiritual fitness. He's been literally elected, chosen by the churches. So he, he, he must be qualified. He must, he must have earnestness to travel with us as we carry out the act of grace. He uses that to, de to describe giving. Uh, that is being ministered by us, served by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. So what he seems to be saying is not only is he going to go with Titus to go to Corinth, he's actually been sent by a group of churches to accompany us when we actually take the grace gift to Jerusalem. Again, he might not call him earnest right there, but, but he might as well. He uses it enough throughout the whole section. He's earnest. He, re he really wants to do this. And, and it speaks to character, to, to, to being the right kind of person who's honorable before God and before the eyes of human beings. Again, great kind of example. He's that kind of person. No doubt if you are famous for preaching the gospel, uh, you're all about the glory of the Lord himself as well. But, but I'm fascinated by this. The glory of the Lord himself. It's an act of grace. So it's about giving, but there's a God-centeredness to the whole thing. Sure, Paul says earlier, it's good for you to do this. But not only is it good for you to do this, and it's going to help the Jerusalem Christians... But ultimately, our perspective is this is for the glory of God. We might flesh it out this way. By doing the right thing, you're glorifying God, saying, He's the great one who changed my heart. He's the great one who I'm trusting in. He's the great one that I want to respond with gratitude to. He's the great one earlier in chapter 8 who loved me and extended grace to me, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now I want to respond because I know how to receive grace, so I certainly know how to give grace. And see, all of that, when it comes to perspective, gives glory to God. He's the great one. I used to know Pat and what he was like. And now he's generous. That gives glory to God, because where in the world did that come from? Sort of thing. And then, let's keep moving. Verse 20. We take this course... 
I wrote in my margin, the course of utilizing different respected leaders or messengers who've proven themselves. We take this course so that no one should blame us. See, we're, we, we don't want to be dishonorable. We take this course of having Titus there and having someone else who's respected by these churches whose name we don't even mention so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us even using his words carefully, administered by us. This isn't ours. This isn't us doing, but we're the, 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 the carriers, if you will, the go-betweens, if you will, the ones leading in this, if you will. Then verse 21 says, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. The word honorable means fitting or good. In Mark chapter 9, Peter says to Jesus, it's good that we're here. It's honorable. So, again, the feature is to be honorable. We have the right kind of personnel who we're trusting because they do things not for, again, like lining their pockets, fame and fortune, but it's genuine from the heart. And the Apostle Paul was... was I don't know if scared is the right word. He was concerned that he would be misperceived. In fact, he said in chapter 2, verse 17, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So don't confuse me with those who do ministry to try to be famous. Don't confuse me with those who try to do ministry to try to get rich. Not that kind of person. And now in our chapter, he's saying we've got... Titus, for good reason. We've got the famous gospel preacher, for good reason, who is affirmed and respected by the church, who is in it because his heart's in it, because we, we want to be an honorable kind of ministry. And you know what? Even though we're not them and these people are different from us, living in a different time, certainly we can learn from this in principle. We would want to have an... There's so many dishonorable things done in the name of God. I would want to learn from how could we be more honorable? How can we be honorable? And this is helping us, I think, with that. The Apostle Paul wants to make it clear that he's, at least here, avoiding what one preacher said are the three G's. He's avoiding the first G, right? Gold, girls, and glory. And the Apostle Paul saying, make no mistake about it, I'm not in it for the gold. And by the way, he's making it clear as well, I just thought of this, I'm not in it for the glory either. We'll talk about girls a different time. You get the idea. Immorality. Being careful. Let's have honorable ministry. Then there's another person involved who's not named. Just as a, just a pause for a second. I find 2 Corinthians to be a super hard, pass, uh, super hard book of the Bible. I've avoided it for 21 years um, because it's complicated. How do, you, how do you preach this every week? And there's all these people involved, and it's kind of like historic narrative. And So I want to say, this is, this is hard to relate this because these people are real people, and we're not them. But... The other side of that is that's positive is to remind us that it's about real people like them 
and like us. So I'll walk the fine line. We're not in their same situation. Let's not pretend like we are. But let's also notice the reason he's talking about real people is because ministry is about real people. And last time I checked, most of you are real people. Okay? <laughs> Stop me if I'm lying. And so we, we see what this looks like in the life of real churches and real people, even though we might look a little different. Thank you for letting me confess. Um, third person is mentioned in verse 22. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest. Here he is again. Genuine, they're in it because their heart's in it, not because of some other reason. And found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. This guy's been proven in lots of different ways. Heart's really in it. And now his heart has actually been really moved because he hears of, of Corinthian fruitfulness. Send me. I want to go. I want to be a part of this. And if we make this individual at least sort of like the other individual when it comes to where this comes from, Paul would say, thanks be to God. This, this guy wants to go because he hears about what God is doing in the Corinthian church by restoring them. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. Really, truly desirous. No shadiness. And then it says in 23, back to Titus, for Titus, for, excuse me, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your behalf. Excuse me, for your benefit. So back to him, we're together, we're locked arms, what he says is what I've said, we're in this together, but do notice, it's for your benefit. It's, it's for, for, for your growth, it's for your good, good even uh, the hard things that have been said. It's for your benefit. We're trying to help Christians act, as I said at the beginning, act Christianly. And, and that is what we want to do. So we're not trying to help Christians feel better about whatever it is they want to do. Okay? He, he's helping Christians like the Corinthians who've been off track get back on track and Titus shares that same apostolic kind of heartbeat. It's for your benefit. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches. For uh, Messenger... Notice I, I misread that kind of because it should be misread if we're not careful. Here, let me, let me misread it again for effect. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches for the glory of Christ. What did I add? I added the word for, at least in the ESV. It doesn't read right. But I think it reads that way on purpose. They're messengers of the churches, comma, the glory of Christ. Now, it doesn't mean they're not for the glory of Christ. That's actually true. But it's interesting the way the translators have chosen to translate it to kind of give it that awkwardness, to, to equate one with the other. Not, not only leading to, but to equate the two together. It just makes it great and significant. You want to see the, you want to see the glory of Christ, the greatness of Christ? In, in, in one sense, right, let's not absolutize this, but in one sense, just look at these messengers. They're, they're going to boast in Him, after all, famous for gospel preaching. 
You want to see the glory of Christ? There, 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 there you go. And not only that, you want to see the glory of Christ when it comes to a transformed life? Yeah, look at these individuals. Look at these individuals. He could be saying, look at me too, because I, the Jew, am actually loving and caring about you Gentiles. So it's, it's great the way it stutters and is awkward. It's, it's meant to make a big point about the glory of Christ, the greatness of Christ, and to see the greatness of Christ in the church. We probably underestimate that. Just, God, show me, show me the glory of Christ. I want, I want to be moved. I want to be, I want to be motivated. And, and maybe sometimes it's right before our eyes. But we're not thinking the right way. The Apostle Paul is saying, when you see what's happening in the lives of these people, and when you see what's happening in the life of these churches, you know what you're seeing? You're seeing the greatness of Jesus Christ. You're seeing the glory of Christ. That should move you to want to do the right thing and to give thanks to Him. It's pretty fantastic. The messengers of the church is the glory of Christ. Yeah, they're doing what Jesus said, loving one another in a new, extraordinary, unique, new covenant kind of way. Where do you look for the glory of Christ? I hope you look a lot of places for the glory of Christ. But I hope you look actually at the lives of Christians for the glory of Christ. Because that's what's going on here. And in legitimate churches. Okay, in light of all this. Now here's the call to respond. Okay? The call to respond. It's not the last verse though, because we're going to look at verse 19 one more time and then we'll close. So just be patient with me. But in light of all this, in verse 24, the call to action. So give proof. I think that goes all the way back to verse 11 from our last week where he says, finish. You started giving when you were with the gospel. You stopped giving when you walked away from the gospel. And now that you seem to be back, finish, verse 11, and highlighting and elaborating on that, now that you've seen these examples of these individuals, verse 24, so give proof. So give proof before the churches of your love. Right? Love for other believers, love for God, genuineness of heart showing itself in love through this giving, helping the church in Jerusalem, and of our boasting about you to these men. It's good. So, Paul is trying to get Christians to act like Christians. He's not trying to get people to do the right thing so they can earn heaven. He's already covered all of that. It's clear that Christ and Christ alone earns you heaven. He's already talked about Christ's righteousness credited to you by faith. He's already talked about being reconciled to God through Christ. He's already covered all that, but now he's saying, Mr. and Mrs. Christian and your children, act like Mr. and Mrs. Christian and your children and do the right thing, is what he's saying. Just one, one final thing. We're going to use this as the conclusion. And that's back in verse 19, just before we're done. He talked about carrying out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. 
is being served to you by us, ministered by us. He uses the exact same phrase, but it's translated differently back in chapter 3. Ministered to by us. Back in chapter 3, verse 3. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like to. I didn't catch this till the end, so it became my conclusion, if I'm honest. Plus, I already had too much to say earlier, but I thought this was a good way to end. So in 3.3, he says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered or literally ministered by us. So a word for servant. Ministered by us. Then he goes on to talk about the tablets not of stone, tablets of the human heart. Then chapter 3, verse 6, ministers of the new covenant. What I want you to see is in, in chapter 3, he's already used this ministers of and ministers of the new covenant to clearly talk about new covenant ministry. This is what we've been waiting for. Old covenant, right? Waiting, anticipating types and shadows. The new covenant's promised in the Old Testament where we would have the, the ultimate Messiah, ultimate forgiveness of sins. He's the one all of human history's been waiting for. New covenant. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's the blood in the, of the new covenant. He's the one apex of everything. Our ministry is a new covenant ministry telling people about being reconciled to God through Christ. We are ministers of a new covenant. He uses the same kind of verbiage, I think, on purpose when he's in our chapter, chapter 8, and he says, ministered by us. It's grace ministered by us, but he's talking about their sacrificial giving, which I think is fascinating. And I think it's motivating. The new covenant's what we've been waiting for. All of human history. Jeremiah even talked about that day that would come. New covenant. All of the shadows. Now we have the substance and it belongs to Christ. And it's everything. Well, and, and new hearts. New desires like Ezekiel talks about of The new covenant. And now he's saying, this giving thing you're doing is a new covenant ministry. Okay? It, it, it just reminds me that it's meant to be a great thing. It's meant to come out of the right motives because of what Christ has done. But sometimes I end up thinking, you know, in the Old Testament, boy, they sure had to give a lot. As if it was better. The author of Hebrews say, now, says, now we have a new and better covenant. It's greater. Our, our formal relationship with God is, is far better because of what Christ has done and accomplished. And so it's not better in the old, worse or in the new, kind of weird. But we kind of think that way sometimes. Actually, greater what we've been waiting for, where, where can I help? My heart's in it. I want to. Eager. Desire. So we should have had our offering at the end of the service today. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I'm so, my jokes are so bad. No, because we don't want to be manipulators from the heart genuine, true desire responding to what's right and true, right? I don't think Paul would do it that way. It's earnest. We want to have an honorable ministry. Okay? Can we pray? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead. We're grateful for him. We're grateful for the promises that are ours because of him. 
Indeed, you're a great Savior, and we want to live for your honor and for your glory. Indeed, you are worthy. Help us to think differently when we leave. Help us to to be resting in Christ and have that be what motivates us to do what is right. In Jesus' name, amen.